Nice, good to see everybody. Hey, yeah, everyone. Doing? Jasmine. Hey. It's been a while. How you I been? know. I've been really, really good. Thanks for asking. Things are going great at my job. You know, my dad is doing amazing. I just have a boyfriend now, and like, yeah, I just got a house too. So everything's been going really, really well. So thank you. Nice. Yes. Yes. It's been really good lately, but you know. Right now, I'm kind of thinking about what happened five years ago. Um, uh, my sobriety date actually is February 7th, 2016. So I did celebrate five years of sobriety. Um, and that's something that, I, you know, I, I don't tell a lot of people because I'm a teacher and um, we're not supposed to be that way. And, you know, I had that hole in my heart um, and I just filled it with alcohol because I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to live in this live in my head or even know how to communicate with people unless I was drinking. And it really took over my life. So many people out there don't believe that it's, it's a disease. They just think it's a choice. And I'm telling you, I didn't choose to try it. Like, I literally had a heart attack and coded out from this. I'm just wondering, um, before you got to that point, like, were you aware that it was tearing your life up, or, or if somebody had asked you, would you have said, like, no, I'm okay, or? Well, yes and no. <laughs> so I knew that it was killing me. I knew I had a problem, but as long as I kept hiding it and wasn't affecting anybody else, like, if it wasn't affecting you, why do you, like, why, why are you so worried about what I'm doing? You know, I don't even know if this is a weird question, but do you ever get scared, like, you're gonna try a, a glass of wine or, or drink, like, is that a fear of yours that you may make that decision? You know, when I first came out of the hospital and things, I was scared to even go to Walmart because, you know, you go by, past yeah, that. Right. But I've learned that that wasn't the problem. Drinking wasn't the problem. My head was the problem and my heart was the problem and I didn't have my, I didn't have a God. Right. I just was obsessed and I, you know, I bowed down to the bottle. You know, Jasmine, I'm curious what you would say to someone who right now are in the shoes that you were in, and they're literally thinking, there is no hope. I, I don't want to be, but I'm going to be drinking for the rest of my life. Right, right. And I remember that, that, that moment when I felt like that, too. Um, I've learned hope means hold on, pain ends. And, um, you know, for me, I, I, I had to find God. Um, because that was the only thing that was going to save my life. And so that day that I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to church today. I'm going to the Easter service. That's the day I found the Lord. That was the day that my life changed. And that from then on, I've been serving. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I would say to someone that's suffering right now. And you're, and you're mean, not you're, alone. You're living proof. Yeah, yeah. You're, never, you're not alone out there either. Um, that's a big thing that I thought I was. I thought I was alone, but you're not, because God is still right there. What a great story, huh? Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Glad you're here today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from uh, one of our campuses, or maybe you're at home, or in your car, online somewhere. We're glad that you guys are along also. Just a little update. Uh, last week, uh, Easter, we, and uh, I want to say announced, we just told that uh, Josh, our lead pastor, Josh Surratt, uh, was supposed to do the Easter services and contracted COVID. And uh, 
Uh, and some of you who were watching online because he recorded a sermon earlier, you say, he preached Easter with COVID? No, that was recorded. I came and was an adequate replacement uh, on uh, Easter Sunday morning. And uh, that's an inside story. Uh, but uh, while we were preaching on Sunday morning, Josh was at Medical University and uh, really not doing well. Um, the doctors there said that his white blood cell count was lower than anybody they'd seen with COVID yet. And, um, but he made a big turnaround, uh, prayer, wonderful doctors and good medicine. By Sunday night, he really had made a major turnaround. He's doing good. Uh, unfortunately, Lisa caring for him now has COVID. And uh, you know how that goes, you give those gifts. And uh, she's, she's, hers doesn't seem as severe as what his is, and she's doing good. If you want to pray for somebody, pray for the kids. They're tired of quarantine, I'm telling you that. Hey, anybody have any, any stories that relate to that? Yeah. But uh, anyway, we will be praying for them, and they'll be back soon. Um, we're starting a new series, and we're calling it I'm Fine. Well, not really. And you know, the title tells the whole story. We've all been there. You know, somebody will meet you in the halls here, or maybe at work and, or at school, and how you doing? I'm fine. And you know that's not true. And you know, that's okay once, but when we develop a lifestyle of hiding behind what's really going on, then we can't experience the life that Jesus has for us. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about various aspects of this. This week, I'm very excited to uh, introduce to you to one of our friends, uh, some of you already know uh, Irene, Jimmy and Irene Collins. Uh, 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 Irene is, uh, spoke at our women's conference online during the, uh, 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 and I said Collins, it's Rollins, but uh, I'm getting old, okay? Irene, I really do know you guys, okay? But uh, <laughs> spoke at our women's conference online during the pandemic. Jimmy's been a friend of mine for several years, they have a great story. And when we did, said we're gonna do this series, so we've got to use Jimmy and, and, and Irene to, to tell the story. So would you welcome and give a great big seacoast warm, low country, South Carolina, welcome to Jimmy Rollins as he comes. What's up, seacoast, how y'all doing? All right, it is so good to be here in South Carolina, absolutely for church, but most of all, for good food. Come on, somebody. I had some good food last night. Y'all might not be able to get rid of me. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm a professional eater. But it is so good uh, to be here uh, with your amazing church, your amazing pastors. I mean, y'all got like the fab four, you know, Pastor Greg and Debbie and, and Josh and Lisa. Can we just give it up for your amazing leaders and the visionaries of this house? And I love uh, to honor Pastors, I love to honor people. Just We have this thought in our church, honor up, honor down, honor all around. But honor is really not for who we're giving it to. It's, it's really for us. It keeps us in a place of humility. It also, what I've learned about honor uh, is what you do is when you honor someone, what you're doing is you're coming into agreement with God's choice. And with that thought in mind, I love that when you come into agreement with God's choice, you also get what's on their lives. So I'll take all of this, Pastor Greg and Debbie. Come on, somebody. And uh, I'm just so excited. Also, my wife of 22 years this June is here in the front row. Pastor Irene, my girl. It's been about the best five and a half years ever. Some of y'all will catch that. And uh, 
and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, and also, uh, I got Hannah here, our project manager who does everything, uh, Jimmy and Irene, she's with us. And y'all give it up for Hannah. Uh, she's awesome. And here's my family. I know uh, my family right there. Uh, Jimmy, that's me. I know what you're thinking, Irene. Like, how did she find someone as good looking as me? I know that's what you were thinking. Uh, and then uh, those are my kids there. I like two of them. Uh, Kayla's in the middle. She's 20. She works for us back at our church. And Jaden, he's the one. I don't know if you could tell. Like, he's, he's, all, he's not all the way saved. Y'all just pray for him. And, uh, and then Maya is 15. Jaden's 18. Maya's 15. And we have three bulldogs. Uh, we have uh, uh, Diesel, uh, we have Bentley, and we have Gucci. Come on, somebody. Like, <laughs> I can't drive a Bentley, but I can command one. Come on, somebody. Go, go sit down, and uh, I get a chance to serve. Uh, we just merged our church with another church, and I get a chance to serve as, uh, you know, in, in black church, you would understand this, uh, as the apostolic pastor. I don't really know what it means, um, but... Uh, <laughs> I get to kind of oversee the church, and, and God's doing amazing things back at Union Church, and I give honor to Pastor Steven Zai uh, Chandler uh, back at our church. And the Ark, I've been a part of the Ark family for some time, and Pastor Greg and Debbie have been just a voice in Irene and I's life, and I'm ready to preach God's word. Amen. Amen. I believe somebody came into church expecting for a miracle today. What I've come to find out about the word of God is that you don't have to, when you come in proximity with it, you don't have to leave the same way that you came in. I found out that there's nothing that you can do for God to give up on you. I found like that when you bring your, your junk to Jesus, he makes up the distance. And as you take a step towards him, he takes steps towards you. So today, as I share our story and as I lean into this series that I'm fine, not really, that you would be just propelled, that you would be encouraged, that you would be Holy Spirit convicted, that you don't have to hide. I believe that this side of eternity, that there's nothing called perfection, only purpose. And freedom is not being perfect. Freedom is having nothing to hide. And I've come to the place where in my life where I have nothing to hide except for this gut with this man Spanx that I have under here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> You'll turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. And I'm encouraged today. I feel the Holy Spirit in this room. It says that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in the northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided, Paul and Silas, to leave for Macedonia at once having concluded that God was calling us there to preach the good news. Wow, what a, an amazing opening. God's calling them. He's, God says, I want to team up with you to change the world. Can you imagine their first day on the job after God called them? Acts 16, 22 and 24. A mob formed quickly against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. What a great first day. They were severely beaten and thrown in to prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, the inner prison, the prison inside of the prison, and clamped their feet with stocks. What an interesting dichotomy. 
What a paradox of being called into ministry to preach the good news. And the first thing that happens to you is bad news. I want to preach to you from this topic over the next few minutes that there's purpose in the prison. There's purpose in the prison. Paul and Silas were just doing ministry. Paul and Silas were carrying out the great commission of Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas were set out to reach people. Paul and Silas knew all the words to the worship songs. Paul and Silas served on the dream team. Paul and Silas may have been in a small group and they ended up in prison. Reminds me of a story years ago. I was, you know, before I was married, I was, I had, I was out of debt back then. Come on, somebody, somebody catch that. <laughs> and I was a worship leader. Not only was I a worship leader, but I was a potato pillar because I was a PK. Come on. You did anything your parents asked you to do. For free. Come on. They didn't know no, no paycheck, no nothing. And so I was not only a worship leader, I, I led worship from the drums. I had one of those Janet Jackson old microphones. Come on. Ow, I feel good. Like, like one of those things. And I remember one specific Sunday. It was me and this guy, Steve. Steve was, uh, was a good friend of mine. I, Steve used to sell drugs on the streets and gave his life to Jesus. So come on, somebody. He made a great executive pastor. God just changed his product. Come on. Steve was a keyboard player. I was a drummer. Worship church was going to start at nine o'clock. So call time was eight o'clock. That means that's when you come and you practice and you go over the songs. Eight o'clock. No, Steve. Church is about to start. Eight thirty. No, Steve. Eight forty five. No, Steve. Come on. This was black church. So I thought it was okay for it to be late. Come on. Somebody like no, Steve. <laughs> Ten o'clock. No, Steve. Steve missed church. Where's Steve? I was upset. Steve was supposed to be helping me lead worship. Steve called me the next day on Monday. Man, you'll never guess what happened. I was like, you're right. I never guess what happened. He goes, I missed church because I was in prison. What? Like, I thought you got healed, saved, and delivered. Come on, somebody. A couple months ago. Years ago. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I didn't know I was driving on a suspended license on my way to church and I got pulled over and they took me to jail. I was like, we should have sang break every chain that Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, we went and they took me to this holding cell and they, and they put me next to this guy who was in for like attempted homicide. I said, so what did you do? He said, I lied. I didn't tell him I got pulled over. I was like, I beat these fools down, you know, don't mess with me. So they held him over the weekend. I said, so, so why didn't you call me? He goes, well, I didn't want to use my only call to let you know I was late for church. Come on, somebody. I had to call my wife. Steve was supposed to be leading worship. Steve was supposed to be on stage. Steve was supposed to be a part of creating atmosphere where people would find freedom. The problem is that Steve ended up in a prison. You know what I've come to find out? You know what I've come to discover is Steve is an illustration of some church folks. We, we know the songs. We're in small group. We go to church. We're, we're a part of the worship atmosphere. But if we're honest, some of us have carried in today an inner prison. 
Everything looks good on the outside. Got a smile on our face. How you doing? Blessed. How you doing, Annie? Blessed. How you doing, Bart? I don't know who Bart is. Blessed. But really, you're stressed. You're frustrated. You have more month than you have money. Your marriage is in turmoil. You're praying for your kids. And you end up in an inner prison. Not a prison that everybody can see, but a prison on the inside of fear and discouragement and, and doubt. And, and you got more fear than you got faith. And, and you got more pain than you got purpose. And you come every single week. And, and guess what? That's where I found myself seven years ago. I was a pastor. Led a church. Built a church. Had a small group. Preaching about freedom, but never experiencing it. And I was in an inner prison. Can you show them a picture of my inner prison? I had a smile on my face. That's me, 420 pounds. Because of my inner prison, I tried to find something to make me feel good, and it was Fried chicken, come on, somebody. I'm like, yeah, I got that issue too. I had a food addiction. The pain, the hurt, the expectation, the betrayal, real life happening. Standing behind a pulpit. And because of my inner prison, I was not pastoring my family. I could go preach to thousands, but couldn't talk to the one I laid next to. Every night. I could fight for a word from God and the spirit, but fought with my wife every night. Had built a great kids ministry at our church, but neglected my own kids because of my inner prison. Preaching God's good news. The stage became a safe place. The pulpit became something that I hid behind. People's acceptance of my sermon was my own acceptance of who God called me to be. You know what? I've come to find out, Seacoast, that if you win at the wrong thing, you're going to lose at the right thing. Because I wasn't pastoring my house, alcohol started pastoring my wife. One glass of wine a night turned into three bottles a night. Turned into wine to... Vodka that was hidden in water bottles. A pastor leading a church. Leading a staff. I'll never forget, we were, I was with Pastor Greg at a Duke basketball game. Mike Krzyzewski, we, we, he, we gave all of these points. And I remember sitting around in that small group going through the points, tears on the inside of me. I was on my phone and Pastor Greg literally, you know, joked and, and it was like, hey, man, get off your phone and, and, and why don't you watch the game? What he didn't know is my oldest daughter at the time was, you know, 15, was texting me a picture of mom passed out in the floor in the bathroom by herself. But I just ignored it because of the inner prison. Marriage turmoil. The fights were awful. 
I remember even in Easter, uh, one Easter, we, we, we had 3,000 people come to church, and our, our church had just started, and, and, and so many people came to the altar to get set free and, and, and had a response time. And, and I remember going back to the green room, crying my eyes out, asking God, why are you using me to help them break free from their prison? But if I'm honest, I'm carrying one around myself. Some of us brought in inner prisons today. And if we were to ask you, you'd say, I'm fine. And you get back in the car and say, not really. How you doing? Everything's great. Not really. You're not thriving. You're just surviving. That's where I was. I was at a point I wanted to give up. And then God stepped in. And just fast forwarding through a whole lot of counseling, fast forwarding through a whole lot of prayer, fast forwarding through a whole lot of accountability. Today, I stand on this stage 150 pounds lighter, and my wife stands five and a half years sober. Come on, somebody. And you know why I'm telling you? Because the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And if I can give you hope that you can make it out of your situation, and I can give you hope that what you uncover, God will cover. And if I can bring some sort of hope that you have faith to get over your fear, I want you to know that if it's not good yet, God's not done yet. So how do I break free from this prison, Pastor? This prison, this inner prison of addiction. This inner prison of fear. This inner prison of trauma. Many of us face pornography addictions and workaholism and codependency. You can even be addicting, be addicted to fear. Say, God, what is addiction? Let me give you a quick definition. It's when you have become powerless over something and life has become unmanageable. It calls you. You think about it. Cycles in your mind. It's robbing you of enjoying the moments that you're in. Addiction. So many people are sitting here and they want freedom, but there's an inner prison on the inside that God wants to set you free from today. Pastor, how do we get set free? I'm glad you asked. Number one, you got to lean into the pain. You got to lean into the pain. What do you mean lean into the pain? It hurts. I, 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 I don't want to acknowledge the pain. But uh, let me tell you why you can acknowledge the pain. It says a mob formed quickly against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. It was no fault of their own. Can I encourage you that what happened to you is not your fault? What you've been through is not your fault. That's pain. 
They were betrayed. They were falsely accused of, of, they were sent by God, but they were falsely accused and thrown into inner prison that was painful. Stocks on their feet were painful. You know what Irene and I have found out about pain? Is there's no greater teacher than pain. But maybe there is someone else's. You don't have to go through. You don't have to go through all the stuff we went through, all the years of hiding, all the years of being, of faking it until we make it, but we never made it. When you fake it until you make it, you're not, you're not faking it, you're phony. That was me. I was a phony. I felt like a counterfeit. Pastor Greg, every time I stand behind the pulpit and God says, no, I want you to lean into the pain. God says, I want to use that pain for a greater purpose. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weaknesses. Doesn't that give you and encourage you to let you know that when you are weak, God is strong and you don't have to put on a front that everything is okay and I'm strong. You don't have to be so acquainted with who you are. How about we become more acquainted with what we're not? so that we can become acquainted with who Jesus is. You mean to tell me I don't have to hide? You don't mean to tell me, I, no, 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 no. What I've come to find out, I've been lifting little weights, is that when I can't press it anymore, the Holy Spirit is my spotter and helps me lift the weight. You got to lean into the pain. It's okay. I'll never forget uh, when Irene and I first got married, I had back surgery. My back was bad. I had a nerve issue was going down my leg. I couldn't even walk to the bathroom in the middle of the night and it was time to have surgery. And, and, and so I was like, man, I didn't want to have surgery because the doctor said this, that the pain of the injury, well, let me say it this way. The pain of recovery can be far worse than the pain of the injury. What that tells me is the pain that you're experiencing right now. You have no idea that God is already in the process of healing you. You didn't know when you woke up this morning, your feet hit the floor. It all, the enemy got scared because your purpose and God's plan, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That when you got up this morning, your hope and your future, come on, somebody, you're on the verge of something great. I went in for that surgery and I woke up. And I'm telling you, I thought it hurt before the surgery. It hurt after the surgery. And I never forget, there was a lady there. She was a nurse. Her name was Betty. Come on. Betty was like an auntie. Betty could, you could tell she could make biscuits and gravy. Come on, somebody. She had an ashy elbow. Come on. She probably had one of them old cast iron skillets that was, it looked dirty, but it was clean. Come on, somebody. Like, like it was heavy. She used it to whoop her kids like Betty. And I'll never forget, Betty was kind of mean, but Betty was, a, was like the Holy Spirit, y'all. Betty grabbed me by the hand. 
I said, Betty, it hurts. She goes, no, you got to walk. I said, I can't walk, Betty. I just had surgery. And Betty said, you don't understand. And she grabbed me by the hand and she said, Sonny. I said, yes, Miss Betty. She said, you got to get up and walk even though it hurts because you are going to get healed as you go. Can I encourage you, Seacoast, that I know it's easy to lay down in the addiction. It's easy to lay down in the fear. But I believe that the Holy Spirit came today to let you grab you by the hand and let you know that you're going to be healed as you go. Arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. You got to lean into the pain, number two. You got to lean into people. It says this, and around midnight, Paul and Silas. I could stop right there. It didn't say and around midnight, Paul. It didn't say and around midnight, Paul. And Silas as two separate things. No, and around midnight, Paul and Silas together. Wow. You see, my dad was a prison warden. My dad built all the prisons in Maryland. He was the warden of the Maryland State Penitentiary. And so I was real good. Come on, somebody. And he told me about this inner prison. It's called solitary confinement. And in solitary confinement, what they do is they take the worst of the worst and they use isolation as punishment. And what I've come to discover is that the enemy wants you to think that you're in solitary confinement. The enemy wants you to think that you're all by yourself, that no one is dealing with the things that you're dealing with and no one's going through the things that you're going through. Can I tell you that's not the case? That's why you got to be in a small group. You got to be around people. The Bible says, confess your sins to God that you may be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. So many people are walking around forgiven and not healed because they don't trust people. Because you think you're in solitary confinement. You know where the jailer messed up in the story? You see, at the end of the story, Paul and Silas get free. At the end of the story, everybody who was in that prison gets free. But how did it happen? It happened because... The jailer put them in solitary confinement, but messed around and put them together. If it's solitary confinement, they're not supposed to be together. Doesn't that encourage you that where two or more people are gathered in my name, there I am. Can you imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? If they were just one by themselves, they'd have been like, man, I'm discouraged. But I love the fact that if Shadrach was discouraged, Meshach had his back. I love the fact that if Abednego, come on, somebody, was, was disappointed, that Shadrach was like, I got your back. You've got to be in this thing called life together. We are in this thing together. That's the power of the local church. That's the power of a small group. You don't have to be in solitary confinement. Fine your people. Look at the person next to you and says, are you my people? Come on, somebody. You got to lean into people. You got to have people in your life that double your joy and ease your pain. I remember when I was a teenager, we, we played wiffle ball. It's like baseball with that yellow bat that you can only find in the grocery store. At the end. Y'all know what I'm talking about with the like, couldn't they give us two? Like, if you lost the ball, it was over. Come on, somebody. Like, there's no ball that hits like that off that bat, right? And so we're playing wiffle ball, and, 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 they, and they pitched me the ball. I was up to bat, and I missed, and I swing, and the ball went into a gutter. 
And that was the only ball, so we had a passion to go get it. So it's about five of us. We go over to the gutter, and, we, and it's about 400 pounds. It's cast iron, and we pick up this gutter. But when uh, uh, we picked it up, I slipped and fell into the, into the, I don't know what it was called, but the ditch, and, and the grate fell on my legs. Four friends just ran. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't want them friends. I'm like, hey, I'm under some weight here. But one friend stayed. One friend had a passion to see me get set free. You know what I love about the local church is God gives you friends that are committed to lifting the weight off of you. And that one friend what took five people to lift to get the ball only took two to get off because I'm telling you right now, when you got somebody in this thing like a Silas, there is nothing that can stop you from getting free in Jesus Christ. Find your, lean into your pain. Lean into people. Number three, this is what I've come to find out. I've come to find out that you got to lean into God's presence. <clears throat> Pastor Greg and Debbie, I, I have come to find out that one moment in God's presence can change everything. One moment. Check out what it says. It says, and around midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas were worshiping. Paul and Silas were interceding. Paul and Silas, come on, they was probably singing, uh, uh, break every chain. Come on, somebody was in prison. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every, you know, black church, break, break, break. We do it over and over. So they're singing, break every chain. And what happens in that moment, in the dark time of a midnight season? Come on, somebody. The presence of God invaded the addiction. The presence of God invaded the fear. The presence of God invaded, watch this, and all the other prisoners that were bound were listening. Do you know that your worship can transform the person on your row? You have no idea. It's not just about what, what God has for you. It's what God wants to do through you. Oh, I've come to find out that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. I believe Moses says, he, he said, God, I don't want to go unless your presence goes with me. I've come to find out that when you usher in the presence of God, you can change things. I got, a, I got an iPhone here. I'm not a, a droid God because I'm saved. <laughs> and, and, and there's an app on this droid called Nest. And right now, I am in South Carolina. And I live in Annapolis, Maryland. But because of this app, that is built into this apparatus, I can actually play a trick on my kids right now and change the temperature back home. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and do that. Main level. Let's turn that up to about 80, just see what happens. Pastor, why are you, why are you talking about this? Because when my wife was in Arizona, 45 days of rehab after we did the intervention. I'm, I'm a pastor, man. I, nothing was working. Nothing was changing. I got a call from a guy, Rick Bazette. 
voice in my life, and he said, listen, he said, you will never have the wife you want until you love the wife you have. I was hurt. I was angry. I was uncertain. And then I started to apply that to every area of my life. You will never have the life you want until you love the life you have. You'll never have the kids you want until you love the kids you have. You'll never have the finances you want until you love the finances you have. While she was in Arizona, I went down to my basement and I started singing Break Every Chain. I started singing This Is How I Fight My Battles. And I had no idea that at that moment she was in a breaking point in her counseling session that I realized that in this apparatus was the ability to change the atmosphere thousands of miles away through worship, through prayer. Yes, counseling. I'm all for counseling. I've gone through a lot. Matter of fact, I might need some after this message. <laughs> but what I came to let you know, you can worship today and change tomorrow. God has not called you to be a thermometer that takes the inventory. He called you to be a thermostat. And when you worship, you change atmospheres. Some of you, there's some loved ones here, not even here right now. You have no idea that at the end of this service, when it's the call and response time, you can change the atmosphere where they are right now because you have a built-in apparatus. And it connects with God. You want to fight that trauma? You want to fight that addiction? Lean into the pain. Lean into people. Lean into God's presence. And the last one, and I'm out of your way. Lean into God's purpose. Check this out. Now, when I read this, it said this, Acts 16, 27. The jailer woke up. You see, when they, when they praised God, everybody's chains were loosed. When they praised God, there was a suddenly, there was an earthquake. All the doors were open. They changed the atmosphere. And then it gets down here to, to, to verse 27 and 30. The jailer woke up to see that the prison doors were wide open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Watch this. Then the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what that tells me? That God wanted to use Paul and Silas's greatest misery for God's greatest ministry. They had no idea that because they got free, the jailer got free. They had no idea that there was a jailer in Macedonia who called Paul and Silas there by his prayers, who was suicidal that morning. And because Paul and Silas leaned into the pain, leaned into people, leaned into God's presence, now they realized that their pain was going to serve a bigger purpose. Pastor Irene and I had no idea five and a half years ago, six years ago, that God would use our junk and our pain and our fighting and our grief and what seemed unbearable to help set you free today. 
You know what we said? All of that is going to count for something. And many of you are going through some things right now and you're in inner prisons and God wants to set you free, not just for you, but for generations coming behind you. I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. And I just wanted to encourage you. And it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay not okay. Today, it's time for you to get free from your inner prison. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for all the people under the sound of my voice. And Father, you said in your word that when we don't even know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit prays for us, makes intercession for us. And there are some people that are in this room today and they feel like, man, my life is just trash and it's junk. And pastor, you don't understand. No, 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 I do understand. Because I've been through it and I can't believe that I still get to do this. But I want to pray that the Holy Spirit set you free today. I want to pray that as you lean into the pain, that as you get into small groups and lean into people, that as you worship and pray like you've never prayed before, that you don't have to be a thermometer taking inventory of your pain. You can be a thermostat and change it. So, Father, by the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, who redefined death, we redefine our inner prison for inner healing. In Jesus' name, amen.